encourage you to take out your outline. We're going to look at a number of different passages this morning. Um, this is the last week in our series called Prayer 101, and this morning we're going to talk about overcoming and the Spirit's power. What does it mean to be an overcomer in prayer and the Spirit's power? And I want to start off by telling you a story about a friend of mine. This is Alistair Howie. He actually spoke at our church uh, many, many years ago. He is from, from England. He grew up in his family with his uh, family in the UK and from an early age was involved in his family's financial assets business and rising up through the ranks, he became uh, kind of a superstar and began working on Wall Street. And then he came to Christ. And what had been so exhilarating on Wall Street now seemed a little bit more empty. And so uh, Alistair began to seek deeper in his relationship with Christ I met with him uh, on a regular basis for uh, about a year after he moved to the, to the States, and um, we ended up hiring him to be the men's ministry director at Fellowship Bible Church of, of Dallas. Today, he runs an organization called Chaplain 360, and he's contracted out to different organizations in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he becomes uh, their chaplain. He, uh, he goes to the uh, floor of uh, a particular company, for instance, and rather than trying to preach, he asks questions, he finds out how people are doing, and when the opportunity arises, he talks about faith in Christ. He is a tremendous guy. Last month, Alistair did something that made national news. He was at the Ford's Lumber as part of his chaplaincy responsibilities, and uh, Glenn Wernley, a guy who worked there, he contracted a very fast-moving uh, cancer and uh, family was called in, and death was, was imminent. Glenn Warnley rallied for about 15 minutes or 20 minutes, and he said, Dad, I want Alistair down here. I need to get right with God. So Alistair rushes to the hospital, leads Glenn Warnley to Christ, and Glenn Warnley dies. Well, Glenn's father, Ed also had a health problem, and he was facing death. Here's Ed. Ed was needing a kidney transplant, and, uh, and if he didn't find one soon, he would pass away as well. Alistair began to pray for Ed, and one day Alistair said, I wonder if I should be the one to donate my kidney. So Alistair texted Ed's wife and said, um, if I'm a match, I would be willing to be considered for the transplant. He was a match. They went to Methodist Hospital in Dallas, and uh, Ed Wernley went into one operating room, Alistair went into another operating room, and Alistair gave Ed Wernley his kidney. Guy is not related to Ed, he just felt like that's what he needed to do. Well, uh, the doctor, Irfan Aga, at the Methodist Dallas Medical Center said, everybody's blown away by this because this kind of thing doesn't happen. He said, quote, for somebody who's just an acquaintance to step forward is truly astonishing. It is the essence of being your brother's keeper. And two weeks after the transplant, this doctor pronounced both of the patients on the road to recovery. So, uh, I was part of the prayer team that was praying for Alistair, and I got a flurry of texts about how things were, were going. 
And I continued to text Alistair just, just to tell him, you know, I'm so proud of you for what you did. Can't believe it. It's amazing. And he said, well, I felt really led by God to do this. Now, I want you to think about the, that scenario for a second. Alistair laid down his life to give a gift, his kidney. Jesus of Nazareth laid down his life for you to give you a very expensive gift, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Alistair's kidney created a relationship between this family and the recipient that will last for the rest of their lives. As long as Glenn Wernley is alive, he is going to be thanking God for Alistair Howie and the gift that Alistair gave to him. Jesus laid down his life to give you a gift, the gift of his Holy Spirit, and that establishes a relationship with you and God forever. Alistair's kidney transformed Ed Wernley's life, bringing him back to health. The Holy Spirit transforms your life, bringing you back to a place of of spiritual health. The Holy Spirit inside you is a power source that we can use on a daily basis, and we can especially use it in prayer, and we can especially use it when we encounter sickness in prayer. Because all of us go through times where we encounter what I would call a prayer sickness. What I want to talk about this morning are the five common prayer sicknesses that we go through and how the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome them. All right, so we'll start with examining ourselves. What are the five common attitudes that mess up prayer? What are the five common prayer sicknesses? Well, uh, prayer sickness number one is that we don't ask. James 4 verse 1 begins this way. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, when you read this, what you realize is that he is addressing genuine followers of Christ. He calls them my brothers or among you. He's talking about genuine followers of Christ. And these guys are at each other's necks fighting and bickering and complaining toward each other as Christians. He says, what's the problem? The problem is that you have these pleasures. Well, that's the Greek word hedunai, which is where we get the word hedonism. And it's it's the idea that uh, I have these pleasures raging inside me, and I want to get these pleasures satisfied, and I'm going to get them satisfied by arguing and bickering and fighting with my fellow members in the body of Christ. Like, where does that come from? Well, James will go on to talk about the fact that the thing that inflames our flesh is the world. Remember the, what, what the world is. The world is the culture that surrounds you, that tries to find significance apart from God. The world is a culture around you that's slightly different even in different cities. I talked to somebody recently who said that they had lived in a number of different cities, and they said, you know, when you go to a party in Washington, D.C., people ask, what do you do? That's because significance is tied to power. When you go to Dallas, people ask, where do you live? That's because significance is tied to neighborhood. When you go to Wyoming or Montana, 
or Colorado people say, what did you do this weekend? Because significance is wrapped up in toys and fun. The world is slightly different in different places, but the common denominator in the world is you try to find significance apart from God. So what that has to do with prayer is, is pretty simple. If you think that you've got the power to get your needs met apart from God, then it messes up your prayer life. You become focused on the weekend, the neighborhood, what you do. And you begin fighting and arguing, and you, you, stop, you stop praying. You're not desperate. And non-desperate people forget to pray. That's prayer sickness number one. You simply don't ask because you're pretty much in love with the world, you're not desperate, and you're sort of fighting with your friends because it's all about me. So that's prayer sickness number one. Prayer sickness number two is we pray with bad motives. James 4 verse 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. Now, God is not opposed to pleasure. God gave you a physical body that can experience pleasure. God gave you the capacity to feel emotions, and those emotions can be pleasurable emotions. So the problem is not with pleasure per se. The problem is, where is God in the context of your pleasure? God's passion is that He would be in the very center, even of your pleasures. So think about it this way. God the Father takes pleasure in you just like a dad takes pleasure in his son. Or a grandfather or grandmother takes pleasure in a grandchild. God takes pleasure in you in that same way. Jesus the Son takes pleasure in you as a groom takes pleasure in his bride. There is this intensity of love. God longs to be at the center of your pleasure. But when you seek pleasure outside of God, that becomes a relational violation. Imagine it this way. Imagine that a young man marries a woman that he's not in love with. The woman that he's really in love with is not available to him, so he marries a woman he's not in love with. And imagine they go on the honeymoon... And the groom is always thinking about the other woman. When he's, they're sitting at dinner, he looks and sees the face of the other woman. When he gets out his phone, he sees her picture on his screen. Now, if you're, if you're the new bride and you're experiencing this, does that feel incredibly violating and dysfunctional to you? Of course it does. Because this new bride would hope that her husband is the object of, of their relationship and their emotional closeness, but that's not happening. Same thing is true in your relationship with God. If your pleasure is all about you and God has no part in that, that's a relational violation. God wants to be in the very center of your your pleasures. So if you're praying that God would give you things so that you can continue to avoid Him and find pleasure apart from Him, He's not going to do that. If you pray, God, I know this relationship is really unhealthy and it's really breaking my family apart, but I pray that you work something out. That's not the kind of prayer He answers. 
If you pray, God, help me get this new job, yes, I know they're not very ethical, and I know that it's not really a good situation legally, legally with them, but it's a lot of money. It's probably not going to work out. C.S. Lewis put, put it this way. C.S. Lewis said, it's quite useless knocking at the door of heaven for earthly comfort because that's not the sort of comfort they supply there. If you're praying only because you want to engage your pleasures apart from God, those are not the kind of prayers that God, God answers. Prayer sickness number three is that you harbor unconfessed sin. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That's really important to know what he's not saying. He's not saying that God can't physically hear your prayers. The God who is omniscient and omnipresent, he can definitely hear your prayers. He's also not saying that you have to have completely and totally pure motives each time that you, that you pray. All of us at some level are going to struggle with motives, good and bad. Rather, what the psalmist is saying is that if I look with pleasure on some sinful activity, and this is an activity that I really enjoy and an activity that I really don't want to stop, I have no intention of stopping, uh, that's going to be a problem in my prayer life. Sometimes people come to me and they, they say, um, I'm doing something the Bible says is wrong, we're not talking maybe wrong or gray area wrong or sort of wrong, but black and white wrong. But they'll say, I've prayed about this, and I feel like God is giving me the green light. That doesn't work that way. Um, if I regard wickedness in my heart, God is not going to empower that wickedness by answering my prayers. And that leads us to the fourth category of prayer sickness. This one is very convicting. We don't treat our spouse well. Now, there are two um, really interesting verses about this. Malachi chapter 4, 2.14 says this, The Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God is setting forth a principle in Malachi, and the principle is when one spouse treats the other spouse with contempt, and there's no recognition that there is a problem, there's no self-awareness about the contempt that is being, being given, God is not going to answer those prayers. And God was not answering prayers in Malachi's day because these guys were, were acting with malicious intent toward their wives. Another example comes from 1 Peter 3, verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir in the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I know I've got to deal with this weaker thing. I know. This is a, this is a, let me tell you what, what he is what he's not talking, he's not saying a woman is weaker physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. He's not saying that. There are plenty of female athletes who are stronger than men. There are plenty of female executives who are far more intelligent than men, female politicians, and so on and so forth. What Peter is saying is this. In general, women are more susceptible 
of experiencing pain in relationships. A lot of times they see the problem in relationships sooner. A lot of times they try to get help sooner. They're more vulnerable toward pain in relationships. And what he's saying is, men, you have to live with your wife in an understanding way, paying attention to the areas that she feels are off kilter or the areas in which she is encountering pain. So what he's saying is, guys, if you want your prayers to be answered, you better treat your wife in an understanding way. However, the, the broader principle that comes from this is that whenever a husband or a wife gets into a mode of treating each other in a disrespectful, contemptuous way, that's going to mess seriously with our prayer life. Now, this does not mean that all marital spats and fighting are going to screw up your prayer life. In fact, what I find personally is that if I have a disagreement with Cindy, it puts me on my knees and I pray, Lord, I need, I need help. If you're there, God's going to answer those prayers, okay? This refers to consistent, persistent attitudes of contempt in marriage. So here you could be a husband saying, Lord, please prosper and bless my business. And you're treating your spouse with contempt. And, and God is, is not going to answer those prayers the way that you're praying them. That leads us to um, prayer sickness number five. We're distracted by other things. And this is not specifically directed toward prayer, but by application it is. Mark, uh, Jesus in Mark 4.19 says, The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. I love this verse, because the idea in this verse is that there are this, this catch-all category, other things. Other things in my life could be social media, it could be entertainment, it could be any sort of thing that, that just sort of swerves me away from prayer. Victoria was talking a little bit before about about the phone, you know, and coming into a prayer meeting and, and, you're, and you're on your phone. That, that's the other things that he's talking about. A prayer sickness is when you get distracted by other things. How many of you have sat down to pray and your smartphone goes off? You have a notification. Oh, what, 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 what just happened? Oh, I got an email from somebody. Oh, they're directing me toward this website, and pretty soon, 10 minutes have gone by, and you've just been distracted, 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 distracted by other things. That's a prayer sickness. It's always a good idea, you know, when you're praying just to, okay, I'm going to set my phone aside or in the other room or turn it off, and I'm, I'm going to pray. So let's do a little self-assessment. Here are the symptoms of prayer sickness. You don't ask. You ask with bad motives. You harbor unconfessed sin. You don't treat your spouse well. You're distracted by other things. I would just like for you to assess which one are you dealing with most now. Which one are you dealing with most now? And just, just take a look at those five and say, okay, which one am I most prone to have struggles with now? Because that's going to be the one that we want to work on. So let's switch gears. And let's look at the solution. The solution is that we rely upon the Spirit inside us as we grow in prayer. Now, 
We're going to look at Romans, at Romans um, chapter 8, but let, let me just say that God loves to search your heart to find something good to strengthen. See, you could read those five prayer sickness verses, and you can think, okay, God is just looking for a reason that I'd answer my prayer, right? You look at those things, and you think, okay, is God like up there thinking, up, oh, you did number three, I'm not answering your prayer, and I feel really good about it, because I really don't want to answer prayer, especially your prayer. You could get that impression. That is not the heart of God in, in any way, shape, or form. God is actively looking for reasons to answer your prayers and to strengthen you. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, that it may strongly support him whose heart is blameless. The word blameless there does not mean totally perfect. It means to be a sta- in a state of friendship or in a covenant of peace. And if I aim to be in a friendship relationship or a covenant of peace with God, He is looking to try to strengthen me and cause me to do better in my prayer life. This is one of those verses where you, you love the figure of speech. Okay, God the Father in this verse has eyes. And the eyes have little feet on them. And the eyes are racing throughout the whole earth trying to see whose heart is completely his. Of course, this is a figure of speech that means that the omniscient, omnipresent God is looking. Who has got a friendship relationship with me? Who has it? Ah, I'm going to lift that person up and answer their prayers. Now we go from the the picture of the eye to the picture of the ear, Psalm 34. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are toward their cry. Okay, so if His ears are toward the cry, who is crying out for God? Verse 18, God is near to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Whole idea is that the eyes of God are looking, the ears of God are listening. Who out there is just at even a minimal level wanting to know me? I'm going to strengthen. I'm going to strengthen that that person. That's the heart of God the Father. It's also the heart of a parent or a grandparent. So let me, let me tell you how how it naturally worked with me. I have a granddaughter who's interested in painting. She loves to create watercolor paintings of animals, and she is especially good at painting the faces on the animals. So I wanted to strengthen what was good in my granddaughter, Ella Eastland. So um, I, said, I said to my daughter, I said, look, could I commission your daughter, my granddaughter, to paint a painting? And my daughter said, yes. So I took a picture of Cindy's beloved dog, Sadie. I sent it to my daughter, and so... This is the painting that resulted, and that was Cindy's present for Mother's Day. I'm wanting to strengthen what is good in my granddaughter. She seemed to like that, so what I did was I bought her a DVD course on watercolors. It was not really age-appropriate. Okay, i gotta got to be honest about that. It was not age-appropriate, and I, I sometimes, sometimes do that with my, 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 <laughs> my grandchildren. <laughs> Nevertheless, my heart was there. I wanted to strengthen what was good in her life. So notice how God does this in your life. Romans 8, 26 and 27. 
In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Any, any one of you say, yep, I can, I can identify with that. I don't know how to pray as I should, okay? Paul says that's going to be true of believers in Jesus Christ. We're not going to always know how to pray as we should. But here's what the Spirit does. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts, that's our hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes according to the will of God. You've had the experience of hitting rock bottom in your life. I hope you haven't, but we all have, because that's just life. And you've cried out to God, Lord, Lord, help me. Maybe it's only a two-word prayer or a three-word prayer. God, help me. Lord Jesus, be near. Have mercy. If that's ever happened to you, then you fall into this category of Romans 8, 26, and 27. I don't know what to pray. All I know is I'm in pain. God, help me. Rescue me. Give me relief. Lord, have mercy. We don't know how to pray as we should, but God has this amazing solution. And what the Spirit does is He takes whatever prayer comes out of our mouth and He reprays that prayer in an intelligent form so that God the Father hears that new prayer that the Spirit has given to us. It's so, so cool that He does that because from the day that you came to Christ, the Spirit has indwelt you. He knows your mind better than you do. The Holy Spirit inside your body right now, He knows your mind better than you do. He knows your mind. He knows what you need. He knows what you feel. He knows what your emotions are. And from all eternity, the Holy Spirit is God, therefore He knows the mind of the Father. And just like Jesus was the bridge to salvation, the Spirit is your bridge to the Father in prayer as He intercedes. So here, here's how it, here's how it might, might happen, and I'll personalize this to me. The Holy Spirit, here, here I am praying all the wrong words, praying awkwardly, praying in a sort of dysfunctional way, and the Holy Spirit kicks in and says something like this, Father, I know what Rod really means. He wants to be submissive to your will, but he's struggling with anger right now, and what's really best for him is that he not get what he wants just yet. He needs to learn how to wait on you. In the meantime, he needs your peace that passes understanding. So, Father, please grant him that peace and then answer his prayers next week or next month or 18 months from now. Or in one case, a very specific case in my life, 15 years from now, answer that prayer. He's not ready for it yet. In 15 years, he will be, but not ready quite yet. Holy Spirit loves to repray our prayers because He knows our mind and He knows the Father's mind. The Holy Spirit does something else, though. The Holy Spirit, we'll go back to the verse, He, pray, he intercedes with groanings too deep for words. How many of you got up this morning and you groaned? You groaned. Okay. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. Um, we can groan because we're a little bit older and things hurt, or we can groan because we're really athletic and we wake up and things hurt, or we're just human and we groan. Here, here's the Spirit. 
looking at our pain, empathizing with our pain, and now the Spirit is groaning as He's praying. What, what does that mean? What does that even mean? What that means is the Spirit emotionally mirrors our pain, physically and emotionally. And as He mirrors that pain, He groans in dependence. Well, not in dependence, but He groans in prayer as we're depending upon God. I mean, aren't you glad that He does that? It's, you know, you know how robotics is a big thing now? Robotics is a really big deal. And, you know, one of these days, you know, you're going to buy a robot who's going to cook you a dinner and make your bed and bring you iced tea when you want it. And you're going to talk to that robot, and he's going to talk to you with a very electronic, robot-like like voice. Is that the kind of God that you want interceding for you? The Spirit is deeply, emotionally connected to you, and He prays out of that deep emotions. But, but now we see something else. We'll, we'll turn from the New Testament to the, to the Old Testament. What we see is that God will also answer your prayers through His, His angels. Check this out. Um, Daniel 9. While I was speaking in prayer, you, you, know, you know the prophet Daniel is, is in Babylon, and he is in the political world, but he's also a believer, and Daniel is praying that God would answer prayer. And in Daniel 9, the angel, uh, Daniel says, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, that's an angel, whom I had seen before in a vision, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He came and he said, Daniel, I have now come to give you wisdom and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, a word went out, and I have come to declare it, for you are greatly beloved. So consider the word and understand the vision. Who answered the prayer? God answered the prayer by sending an angel in swift flight. And what was the angel's word to Daniel? Daniel, you are greatly beloved. Well, that's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Is it possible that you pray and an angel comes and allows you to experience and encounter the love of God? Well, that's what happened in this case right here. Answered prayer happens when you depend upon the Lord. He sends an angel, and part of the angel, angel's ministry is a comforting ministry. We see the same thing in 2 Kings 6, 15-17. This is a really interesting passage because the king of Syria was doing military exercises Elijah the prophet was discerning where those exercises would take place, and the king of Syria is freaking out, saying, who, who, is, who is telling Israel what we're going to do? We have, have a leaker among us. And somebody said, it's, it's Elisha. And so the king of Syria comes down to crush Elisha in the city of Dotham. And the servant is, is upset fearing death, and the servant said, and, and Elisha says, don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Here the armies of the king of Syria are all around, and it looks like they're going to die, and Elisha says, don't, don't worry about these guys, these, these armored people, don't worry about them. The guys on our side are a lot bigger. And the servant's going, what? What are you talking about? I don't see anything. And Elisha says, uh, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw chariots of fire, like a mass of angels surrounding the city, surrounding Elisha and his servant. And pretty soon the servant is realizing, oh my gosh, these, these armored people on horses are nothing compared 
to the chariots of fire, the angels who've come to protect us. So one of the things that happens in prayer is that God has these angelic hosts that he sends your way. Now, in America, we just, we just don't think about this. And in other countries, they do. Other countries, they're very aware of the, of the spiritual world and the world of angels and demons. Not in, not in America. Not in America. We, we just think like, oh, like that's ridiculous. I would urge you to widen your worldview. And when you pray, to be aware of the fact that God has angelic hosts that have the ability to provide answers to those prayers. Hebrews 1.14, angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who are to inherit salvation. So, very quick, let's three takeaways from this. Takeaway number one is address your prayer killers. Address the prayer sickness. Don't ask. You know, bad motives, unconfessed sin, treat your spouse well, distracted by other things. Whatever your prayer sickness is, identify that and go, okay, that's, that's me. That's me. I've got to address that in my life. I love Donald Miller, Blue Like Jazz. Donald Miller was talking about, about his life, and uh, he, he, said, uh, he said this. Let me, let me just read this. He says, I was addicted to myself. All I thought about was myself. The only thing I really cared about was myself. I had very little concept of life, altruism, or sacrifice. I discovered in my mind there's like this radio tune that picks up only one station, and it's, it's me. It's K-Don all the time, like the radio station, K-Don all the time. He said, he said you know, when your worldview is, is like this, you're, you're going to be susceptible to one of, these, one of these sicknesses. Identify it. Second, <clears throat> express to God where you think you're weak. Um, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Um, you know, when you, when you begin living with blinders on, like the Spirit's not active in your life and He's not going to help you, or that angels are not active in your life and they're not going to help you, when you have blinders on like that, it's really easy to like, be like this brute before God and not aware of the amazing things that he's doing in your life. And then finally, visualize the activity of the Spirit in your life. If you're crushed and broken and in pain and you're crying out, somehow try to visualize the Spirit groaning with you in your pain. Now, I don't know how you do that because the Spirit is invisible, doesn't have a body, but somehow visualize the, the emotion of the Spirit who's crying out and saying, God, Rod is hurting. He's hurting. Oh, I'm groaning as I'm seeing his pain. God, will you please enter into this and provide your peace that passes understanding? V visualize that somehow. Because what, what God wants you to do is to operate within the supernatural worldview that says the Spirit is going to help you with your prayer sickness, and the angelic realm is going to help as well. So I, uh, I texted my friend Alistair this morning. He said, hey man, I'm, I'm praying for you, praying for your energy. He still lacks a lot of energy from the kidney. He's lost a kidney. 
And uh, he said, hey, th thanks for your prayers. I'm doing a little traveling this weekend, and, and I and thank you. Thanks. But he's, he's pressing on. And there's a group of people down in Duncanville, Texas, who, who say, you know what? That guy is the real deal. That guy is a true follower of Jesus Christ. When you become a person who overcomes your prayer sickness and the power of the Spirit, people look at you and say, man, that, that's, that person's the real deal. That's an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. Let's stand for a closing prayer. And as we do this, um, I want you to know that our prayer team is available on either side of the stage. And so um, please take advantage of that. If there's anything we can be praying about, we would love to be able to do that. Father God, make us mindful and aware of our prayer sicknesses and hurdles where we're distracted or have improper motives or, or not asking. Father, just bring that to our mind and make us aware of that. Help us to be also aware of your spirit interceding for us and the spiritual realm and the angels who are on our side. Father, go with us this week and may our prayer life be strengthened and our walk with you be strengthened as well. Amen.